Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Holy crap, it's here. This has taken me seven months of my life to complete, and I am super pleased how it turned out. What is Miguel talking about? It's my new book, Expat Secrets. You're going to be able to find it on Amazon right now. Let me just give you the full name of the book because I think it says a lot, okay? Expat Secrets, How to Make Giant Piles of Money, Live Overseas, and Pay Zero Taxes. Boom. I really like that. Basically, the book breaks down everything you need to know for leading an international life. This is timely information and modern, and it's a fun read. You can buy your copy right now by going to Amazon and searching Expat Secrets. This will really help support the show to grow. And if you want to be an awesome human being, what I want you to do is leave the book an honest review on Amazon. It actually makes a huge difference to new authors like me. Seriously, I mean this. Please get a copy of the book and please leave the book a review. It's just good karma. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is a private banking senior executive with over three decades of experience in wealth and asset management with Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse, and Citigroup. He has built major businesses on four continents and has become an expat in 2014 and has built multiple streams of income to fund his imminent retirement. He's the founder of My Retirement Rehab, created to help other executives and professionals rehabilitate their finances and make a prosperous, enduring retirement a reality. Please welcome to the show, Ian Bond. Ian, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Mikkel. Thank you so much for the invitation. I've been looking forward to speaking with you. Me as well. And it's so interesting. My assistant told me that you are in Singapore, but in fact, you are not based in Singapore. Where are you? No, I'm right here in the UAE in uh, Dubai, and you're right down the road in Abu Dhabi, I guess. That's right. So I was well surprised when I heard that, but I think that we're going to have to go for beers or go for coffee or something and meet up in the next couple of weeks. I'd love to do it. I mean, it's, I'm in Abu Dhabi uh, frequently on business, and of course, everybody in the world comes through Dubai, you know, either to travel through or just to shop. So Absolutely. World's tallest building, world's largest mall, all kinds of fun stuff over there. I call it the eighth wonder of the world because I think it's, an ama- it's just an amazing place. So, Ian, why don't you take a couple minutes and kind of walk us through your backstory, how you got to be an expat and how you started building your business as an entrepreneur. The quick backstory was that I started my career in 1980 working for Goldman Sachs and spent my formative years there. And then ultimately went on leaving Goldman Sachs and building businesses for 
a number of the large name brand uh, financial institutions that people would know. So you mentioned Goldman Sachs, but also Credit Suisse, which you mentioned, Citigroup, also Deutsche Bank, and, and some others. And, you know, I bought into what was, you know, something my father and grandfather, you know, kind of instilled in me in 1980, which is you go to college, you get a good job and, and you know, max out your 401k and you're good. And, you know, I, I did that. I, I worked my tail off. I built businesses, won awards for building these businesses from the financial press, peer group awards. And uh, after the financial crisis, I woke up one day uh, after I had a bad the bonus conversation with my boss. And despite the fact that my, my business was up, you know, 30% again, my bonus was down 50%. On Wall Street, your bonus can be 50, 60, 70% of your earnings. And so, you know, not only could I not fund my retirement or my kids' college education requirements, but I couldn't even fund my, my current lifestyle. And so I was very much in a funk. Um, I ultimately righted my mindset and got kind of my two feet uh, back on the ground and developed a victor mentality, not a victim mentality. And I realized that the only way that, um, that I was gonna be able to develop alternative streams of income and really uh, take advantage of the economy as it is, the new economy, was to leverage my skill set in, you know, um, uh, you know, through the use of the, the technologies that were being developed and that I saw being implemented in the marketplace. And so, once I solved my own retirement planning issues, I kind of looked around and I said, you know, there must be more people like me. It's a very, very lonely situation when you figure out what I figured out. There's no one to talk to. You can't talk to your colleagues at, at work for sure. Our social circle, it's not something that you talk about. Even my siblings, who I'm quite close to, I couldn't talk to. And so, you know, try to talk to a financial planner or a retirement planner and tell them that you have no money and, and, you know, see how long, you know, your, your appointment lasts that, you know, they're not, you know, not set up to help you, you know, if you don't have kind of a steady stream of income that they can plan around. And so that's not the reality of today. Um, people don't have pensions and people don't have, you know, kind of the ability to assume, you know, consistent, constant employment and consistent earning streams. And so, we built uh, my retirement rehab, put together kind of an alternative retirement planning course that's four and a half hours. And we built a community of like-minded people that, you know, are at different places in the journey in terms of, you know, writing their financial situation and flourishing. And it's, you know, really, it's, it's been a wonderful experience. In my case, I focused on, you know, kind of the big, the big three ways to make money you know, kind of outside your day job are coaching, consulting, um, things around um, free, freelancing types of activities, which would be things like copy, copywriting or teaching English as a second language, and then e-commerce. And I've, I've done all three and do all three, but the, the one that, that has been the most scalable and that will provide us with the most income is are the e-commerce activities that, that my wife and I have developed. My wife joined me when I uh, moved abroad in September of 19 of 2014, she joined me the following summer. And that fall, we bought our, our first uh, e-commerce store. And subsequently, we've added more than a dozen stores, some of which are fully built out, some of which are 
in the process of being built out, but we now have you know quite a quite a, a large team of you know ten or more people working for her. She does that as her full time job. She worked on Wall Street, had a had a wonderful job, but when she got here, there really weren't any jobs for following spouses, and there aren't. And so we built something that could uh, go with us when you know our time is up here, and that we could ultimately use to uh, to fund our, our our retirement. And I have kids that are 21, 12, and nine. So you know I'm gonna you know hopefully live. Uh, I just crossed 60. I'm hopefully gonna live to be into my 80s or 90s, and maybe even make 100. So I've got a, I've got a, hopefully a long time to you know kind of uh, that I need to fund with cash flow because it's not going to come from, you know, a retirement nest egg and not going to do what the traditional retirement planning outcomes kind of tell you they're going to do, which is you develop a you know, a big nest egg and then you live off the earnings that fixed deposits pay, you know, which in, back in the old days, they paid seven, eight or nine percent. That just isn't reality today. And so we've taken a whole different cut at it. And, and you know, that's you know kind of how I got to where I am now. But I think really the you know going back to your, your question, the crux of it was you know kind of really the the thing that you know kind of was the the, the turbo drive of you know, for us, the turbo boost for us was taking the the assignment abroad for my current employer, being able to have time outside of work to focus on you know these e-commerce activities from a strategic level being geographically positioned in a place where there is, you know, an enormous demographic growth and being close to Asia and seeing all the things that are going on in Asia and sitting outside the United States and kind of being able to analyze, you know, kind of the the relative opportunities. And then, you know, making the decision, obviously, to get in the way of this huge trend in e-commerce. So, so to me that, you know, that, you know, that, you know, that was the very fortuitous part that I probably didn't appreciate when I, when I kind of took the assignment, but now, you know, it's kind of inseparable. That's, that's been a, just an enormous benefit to us. Well, I'm really excited to hear some of the things about e-commerce and some of your experiences working with that. But I want to take one step back because you mentioned the new economy. Kind of break this down for me a little bit, what you meant by that, because I think this is an interesting concept. Sure. You know, if you go back to when Thomas Friedman wrote the book, The World is Flat, you know, and there were some other uh, books that were written and we're both readers, you know, that were written about how people were, you know, kind of outsourcing even menial things to firms in India back in the early 2000s. Well, you know, in the corporate world, we saw, you know, outsourcing, you know, kind of from the the early 90s and, and, you know, kind of accelerated through the dot-com bubble bursting. And, you know, it's only accelerated. And so now, you know, really what has happened, you know, what Steve Jobs, the legacy of Steve Jobs, is that he gave us something that we carry around in our pocket that has all of our music, has a phone in it, and it has a connection to the internet. And so everyone with every skill is online and able to communicate with each other at the same time. And so you know, there's an enormous pool of talent that you can access. So the cost of becoming an entrepreneur, which used to be just an enormous cost, whether it was you know, rent or buildings or trucks or whatever, now there's almost no cost of being an entrepreneur. 
and you can assemble teams of people and get specialist help, you know, in a very organized fashion and kind of people that are stuck in the old brick and mortar mentality, you know, are at a huge disadvantage. You know, I would, I would ask people to think of it this way, no matter what your specialty is, uh, and if you're an expert, a career professional, you're probably locked into some geographic, you know, kind of circle around you that people would come looking for you to seek out your, your professional opinion. Might maybe that's a hundred miles if you're an accomplished medical professional because someone may have a medical need that requires your unique specialty. Well, now on the internet, you know, my I'm doing business, our customer service teams are in the Philippines. We have our chief operating officer who's in India. Our tax, I have a tax people in the States as well as one in Belize. I have developers that are in uh, Central Europe as well as uh, Bangladesh and Pakistan. And these are people, none of whom I've met in person. You know, we do business with them all through tools that are all technology driven tools, things like project software called Asana, a communication software called Slack. We're selling physical goods. We operate in physical goods e-commerce. We're selling physical goods on platforms in the United States. You know, we have, we have a website where we sell through Amazon and the house platform and have relationships with suppliers. And we've, we've knitted this all together. And because we live eight time zones away from the United States, it all had to be built so that it could be run while we're asleep because we're asleep for most of the day that people in the U.S. are shopping. None of our activities are outside the United States. And so the new economy is just the phrase I use to describe all that's happened. And, you know, I heard a technologist refer to this the other day and it said something, uh, said basically that, you know, the, the world has changed more in the last 10 years than it has in the last 10 decades. And I think when you think about, you know, kind of the world we live in today, it's accelerating at an accelerating pace. And that's the point that Thomas Friedman in his follow-up book, which is, uh, thank you for being late. You know, that's a concept that he tackles in that book. And then, you know, there's another book, just because I'm a, uh, and I know you're a book guy, a call that Scott Galloway, the professor at, at NYU wrote, it's called the big, it's called the four, and that's about Amazon, Apple, Google, and Facebook. And it talks about kind of all of the things that happened back in the 2007, 2008 timeframe, uh, you know, including things like the cloud and other things that, you know, have just changed all of the dynamics in the workplace. Well, it's one of the reasons why I think that expats make such fantastic entrepreneurs, because we really understand this globalization, as you said, you know, having someone work for you in the Philippines, being able to sell physical goods in the States, you know, getting your taxes done in Belize, you know, these borders that maybe 10 or 20 years, they were in place and, and those were real things. But today, it's not really the case at all. You know, like you can really do anything from your laptop and you can be completely location independent, which I just think is so brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So I have a, I have a personal trainer and he's from Sri Lanka. He's a bodybuilder. And, you know, when I show up at the gym, he's talking to his wife in Sri Lanka, which is, you know, a fair distance from where we live here. He's talking to her on Skype. And, you know, that wouldn't have happened, you know, 15 years ago. That wouldn't have happened. So, um, 
you know, it's a it's just a entirely different ballgame. And I think you're right. Expats have a unique advantage because we've got all these workarounds for these things that that you know that we that we want to do, and we're not willing to give them up. And so we figure out a workaround to do it. So talk to me a little bit about why people's retirements are really in jeopardy. Like, aren't you guys supposed to have 401ks? Aren't you guys supposed to have Roth and all these different things that are supposed to provide for you? Yeah, yeah, funny thing, huh? Uh, you know, <laughs> con- Congress enacted something called the ERISA legislation in the 70s. And essentially, the corporate CEOs in the 80s sold the workers down the road, and made a deal, a deal with the devil with the, with the workers, and basically said, look, with Congress' help, and said, look, you know what, we'll, we'll match your a contribution to this thing called a 401k, which is a... a, a um, a, a not a defined benefit plan. It's a contribution plan for retirement. And we'll do that if you just let us out of this whole pension thing that we promised you. And so, you know, back in the 70s, uh, pensions in the United States were prevalent. And now, you know, the, the percentage of people, and they're mostly government employees uh, and some union workers that have pensions, and even the union workers have to be nervous because um, a lot of those companies are, are, uh, are a lot of those pension funds are, are in a horrible financial condition. But it changed. And so it used to be that you had your own savings, you had Social Security and you had a pension. And those were the three legs to the stool. Well, it just hasn't worked. It hasn't worked out. And then, you know, you couple that with the fact that the. Uh, economic reality for people that have been working since the 80s, you know, uh, basically baby boomers and Gen Xers, you know, there's no job stability anymore. I mean, you know, we all know people that have, we've seen, you know, kind of industries decimated and people in those jobs, in those industries, you know, they've got to reinvent themselves. And I remember what had happened to some people that I knew back in the late 90s, early 2000s, felt really sorry for them didn't really wake up to the fact that this was going to keep happening. And now, you know, I coach some people and I know a fellow who's a very senior executive in the pharmaceutical industry and, you know, has the ability to talk to doctors about uh, his company, his pharma company's compounds and how it will work on, you know, the patients. Well, you know, the pharma companies are under pressure and, you know, doctors like talking to cute younger women and he happens to be a mid forties, you know, very smart pharmaceutical, you know, researcher and sales guy. And, you know, so his job is under pressure and, you know, it's not for any, you know, any fault of his own. It's just the world has changed. And so, you know, we, you, you can't, you can't bet on a 30 or 40 year career and, and a defined contribution plan, you know, bailing you out in retirement. It just doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. Well, I think that the concept of going into one career, spending your 30 years there, taking your retirement and, you know, retiring then is, it's, it's not practical anymore. Like we were saying before, people are living a lot longer. You know, people are going to be living to 90s, 100, 100 plus with the medical technology and the advancements we've had in stem cells and all these different things. You know, people are going to live very long lives. And I think it's going to be very common for people to have two, three or four careers during their life. Who's going to want to do the same career for 80 years? It's just not practical. Well, yeah, okay, so that, that's the other elephant in the room. Most of the people that I talk to that contact me through the website, you know, they're kind of done with you know, the profession or the career that they chose back when they, you know, were, you know, in their teens or early 20s. You know, most of them would like to do something, you know, maybe a little bit different. 
and they're trying to piece together, you know, what that could be, you know, and, and how they could change their reality. I, you know, for three dozen years, I've been getting up uh, every morning and putting a suit on and going to a big building and sitting through, you know, endless numbers of meetings and performance appraisals. And, you know, I enjoy, I love my job. I, you know, I think it's incredibly challenging. I, I like the fact that, you know, in wealth management and private banking and asset management, we get to kind of look at the, you know, kind of the economy and investment strategies. It's what I thrive on. But, you know, I can, I can tell you that I have, uh, you know, friends and, and, and people that I work with that, you know, they're, they're just kind of done, you know, kind of with what, you know, after 40, 35 or 40 years with, you know, what their career requires. But one of my best friends from high school is a dentist, if, you know, and he told me last time I talked to him that he had to look at another tooth. He was going to have to, you know, slit his wrists. I mean, you know, he's just done looking at teeth, you know. Yeah, I understand. But to really bring yeah. things full circle, it makes sense. You know, maybe some of these strategies that were put in place by the government, they may have worked if you were only going to need them for, say, five years or eight years until you passed away. But they're not meant to provide for you for 40 years or 50 years. It's just you, we're, we're breaking the system. So, you know, couple that with what you were saying about getting sold up the creek, you know, and all these changes, people really need to be careful. People really need to be educating themselves and learning and, and looking at these different opportunities in the new economy, like you said. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, when Social Security, when these things were put into place, life expectancy was the mid-60s, okay? And so, you know, the horrible news, Mikel, is that we're going to live to 85 or 90. It's just a horrible news. You know, you know, the really horrible news is we have to figure out a way to finance that. The wonderful news is it's going to happen. To your point, the advances in medical technology are amazing. You know, and you know, look, I don't know about you, but, you know, I don't really want to cut back. I want I want to enjoy the late my later years in life as much as I have the, you know, the last many years. And so, you know, you just have to kind of get your arms around it and then, you know, figure out how you can take advantage of these changes because I can tell you that 99% of the people aren't thinking like this. And so if you're in the 1% that are thinking like this, the first thing you need to do is find a community of people that are like-minded because most of the people surrounding you, um, you know, the five people that, you know, that, that, that are closest to you, they're not thinking like this and they're just going to go back and watch Game of Thrones. And on the weekends, they're going to, uh, you know, uh, you know, play golf or be involved in something. And, you know, they're not working to change their future reality. They're just not doing it. I know. And this this wake-up call is one of the main reasons that I hammer over the head of my listeners over and over and over again. It's like, come on, guys, you need to get to work. You need to start studying. You need to start reading and working towards this, you know? And, and I get myself into trouble sometimes. I get some hate mail from people. And it's like, no, like... You guys, if you are not studying, if you are not working towards something and, and looking at, you know, creating wealth and different sources of income, generating different sources of income, you really, you're putting your family at risk. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm going to be prepared, you know, and it sounds like, Ian, you've really taken a step up and you've built businesses to make sure that you're going to be protecting your family. But if you're just spending all day long watching television, you know, don't rely on the government. They're not going to be there to help you. Nobody is. Like, I don't know what else to say. It's, it's very, very true that most people just don't want to face the reality. And it's, you know, it's an amazingly unfortunate thing. And I think that people have the opportunity to leverage their skill set and to, to create a reality for them, for themselves, 
that's it's it's amazing. It just takes a little bit of work, but you know you kind of have to dig back and you know think about things you know in a fairly structured fashion and take an assessment of where you're at now, figure out what you can do to you know kind of right size if you have debt you want to get rid of debt if you can right size you know the expense base. I'm not a big you know uh, cut to the bone uh, expense you know kind of advocate, and then you need to figure out how you can prolong your, your high earning years, and which would probably mean your, your, your current career, prolong that, and in the meantime, develop these alternative sources of income that will fund you once, you know, kind of uh, corporate America, uh, you, know, you know, kind of doesn't want you because you're, you're, you're too old. And the reality is that ageism is, is real out there. And you know, if all you're doing is retraining yourself to be an older player in a small pond of people uh, that are looking for people in their, you know, early, mid, even late 60s, I think that's a very bad game plan, to be honest. Just gonna take a quick break. Okay, new book is here. It's called Expat Secrets, How to Make Giant Piles of Money, Live Overseas, and Pay Zero Taxes. This book took me seven months to write and publish, and it's a culmination of some of the best stuff I've learned over my 20 years living as an expat. I cut out all the crap and tried to give you the real meat with this book. If you ever wanted to live overseas, or if you are already living overseas and you want to take things to the next level, to legally reduce your tax bill, to live a more international life, and get the best of everything planet Earth has to offer, then you must go to Amazon right now and purchase your copy of Expat Secrets. Pause the episode and go take a look. It's cool. I'll wait. Seriously, you guys are going to love this. Enjoy the book. So talk to me about what you decided to go in. Talk to me about the e-commerce space, why you chose this, why you think this is such an attractive way to earn more money and get those additional streams of income like we were speaking about. Yeah, okay. So let me just borrow something from my, you know, kind of my, my, my corporate experience, okay? So, you know, I've looked at investment strategies for three dozen years now, and I know intimately the ins and outs of the investable strategies that are being talked about in the very highest level across all of the major uh, investment organizations, both on the buy side and the sell side. I know many of the top investment managers, um, and, I've, and I've, I've looked at all of these strategies for a very long time, and I've looked at very esoteric strategies in addition to mainline strategies. I can tell you that as an asset class, investing in websites that are currently producing money, you know, they are really very cheap and um, they're cheap for a couple of reasons. Number one, they haven't been around for a long time, um, but I think, and they're not well understood, but I think also there's no institutional pool of capital that has caused the general asset class to rise yet in pricing. So there's no institutional capital that's, that's investing in websites. And that's great for website buyers and unfortunately not so great for people that want to sell websites. Now, one of the, the things that you learn, you know, when you've been an investor for as long as I have, 
that the easiest way to make money is to get in front of a big trend. And there is no bigger trend than people doing things or buying things online out there that I'm aware of. I mean, it's ginormous. You know, in the United States, physical goods e-commerce, which is the space we play in, is something like eight to 10% of uh, total retail sales. And it's growing at 25% a, at a massive clip. And Amazon represents about half of that. And there's good news and there's bad news that Amazon represents about half of that. The good news is that, that Amazon is training people well to shop online because their experience is so good. The bad news is that Amazon takes the standards up so high that to be respected, you've got to perform at Amazon standards, which I happen to think is, is a wonderful thing to aspire to because I'm a, a huge fan of it. But if you can get in the way of this e-commerce trend and do a mediocre job, you should make a lot of money. And that's just the pure demographics of what's going on out there. That's just the trend. And, you know, whether it's, you know, looking back in history, being in front of, you know, what Henry Ford did to create factories to make things in a more organized fashion and leverage, you know, human talent or any other major trend in, in commerce, what's going on in e-commerce is huge. Why did I choose physical goods e-commerce? It's really very simple. It's over half of, of uh, the e-commerce world. So there are other things like content sites where people write content and monetize it. There's things like software as a service. Uh, Empire Flippers has a wonderful article on their blog, 11 different monetization methods. But the, over 50% of it is physical goods, number one. And number two, I think that physical goods, since we're all online shoppers, is fairly intuitive to most people. I think it's kind of like real estate. I think, Mikkel, if you and I were parachuted into a city, had never been there, that over a weekend we could figure out you know, kind of what the good parts of the city would be to live in, what the bad parts of the city would be to live in, and where the parts that offered value that looked like they were getting better, but it wasn't priced correctly, I think we'd figure that out. So I, I think physical goods is, is fairly intuitive to people, and you don't have to have any, you don't have to have any kind of serious technology uh, training to participate in it. It's, you know, I have no technology background. I've, I've managed from a very high level committees that managed many implementations of things, but I'm not a techie. I mean, you know, my wife um, you know, runs the operations of all of our business. She has no formal training. Um, you can read on our blog, our, our story, it's called My Wife's uh, $2 Million Ikea Desk, which talks about the fact that, you know, she was an executive assistant at an investment bank. And, you know, everything that, you know, she learned to run our business, which is a seven-figure revenue business now, is stuff that we learned since we started doing this by, you know, mostly by making mistakes every day, failing, but not failing so fatally that we are out of business, failing and surviving and failing and surviving and hopefully getting better, a little bit better every day. And so, you know, kind of, that's it. Get in front of a big trend, get involved so that you can kind of learn these things. Um, network and find people that can give you advice. Um, and and uh, you should be okay if you're in front of this big trend and you perform even at the median level, you should do fine. 
And you know, when you're buying something right now, these businesses sell at you know, 25 to 30 or 35 times monthly income. So let's say two to three times annual income. So those are returns, uh, those are monthly returns of three to 4% per month. Those are enormously high returns. And yeah, so you're not going to be getting that in the stock market. There's just no way you can't get that. You know, I mean, those are the annual re- Those were the annual returns that well, the 10 year U.S. Treasury right now yields three percent. That's a 10 year U.S. Treasury. Now, I am not equating, please, everyone who's listening to this. I'm not equating the risk of a 10 year U.S. Treasury with a website. I'm, you know, all I'm saying is that it's a very, very high rate of return uh, when you when you purchase websites. So the first thing that I want to get out of the way, because I want to make sure that people don't have this barrier in their mind, is, is it too late to get involved in online e-commerce for physical products? Oh, Lord, no. I mean, these are just the early days. The, you know, I'm working with a, with a, uh, I'm working with a partner in, uh, who I've known for three or four years, met him here in, in the UAE, in, in the UK. And the UK is five years behind the U.S., it's it's the early days. I mean, when when the penetration of online sales is less than twenty percent, you know, it's these are the early days. I mean, this is this is an amazing time to get involved. Um, you know, and I think the opportunities that you see today, you may never see again. I think you know you will see more people rush into this. And basically, I think all you need is one more, you know, kind of uh, financial crisis, and I think you'll see people who are displaced from their current job look around and try and figure out what the best thing they can do with the next 10 or 20 years of their life. They're going to say, look, it wasn't how I was trained in college back in the, you know, in the eighties or nineties. It's this, you know, it's some flavor of what's going on in e-commerce. And, you know, probably the easiest way to, to think about getting involved in in e-commerce is, you know, two of the three, you know, the the other two non-e-commerce, you know, kind of ways of participating in the new economy which be around freelancing or around coaching and consulting. But, you know, the reality is that to make really big money, you want more leverage on your time. And that's why commerce, specifically physical goods e-commerce, is, is, is so powerful. So talk to me a little bit about the skills that you think are really advantageous for people to learn about or to study or to, to hone in on if this is the type of business that they want to create for themselves. This is going to sound like I put you up to ask that question, but uh, you know, if, <laughs> this if is all a, non-scripted. Everybody knows that I just yeah, make this shit you know, up on this, the spot. If, so. if, you're a, if you're an adult, okay, if you're an adult and you have any kind of professional either corporate or non-corporate experience, it's still the wild west in e-commerce. I mean, listen to the podcasts that the guys that are and women that are in their 20s and 30s, they're listening to podcasts like, you know, how to hold a meeting, how to hire employees. I mean, these are things that people that are in their 40s and 50s or 60s, you know, back in the day, you know, I went through two of Wall Street's finest training programs. They didn't let you talk to their clients, these firms. So you were incredibly well-trained. Now you're lucky if you get to shadow a senior, a senior uh, executive or, you know, before you're just thrown out on your, uh, on your own. So the, the skill set that you have, if you have a, a little, in my case, a lot of gray hair, but if you have just a little bit of experience is, is amazing. 
And so you're mostly talking to people, particularly in the physical goods e-commerce world, you're mostly talking to people that are working inside of firms that are manufacturing and supplying goods. They, you know, they are people that have jobs. They get up every morning, they go to the job. They're much more comfortable talking to someone who's a little older than they are someone who's in their, in their 20s. And, you know, so from a, a skill set standpoint, you have all the skills you need if you're, you know, if you've had any reasonable experience as a, a professional. Now, you know, uh, you know, anybody who can find a podcast, you know, probably has enough tech savvy, but there are some tech, tech things that you're going to have to learn. But the, re the, the resources are out there are abundant and anything that is at all sophisticated, you can go to one of the job marketplaces for freelancers like Uplance or, or um, freelancer.com, Upwork or freelancer.com. And you can hire people to, to do these very specialized things. So that's where we hire people that do development work for us and, and, and things like that. And so you know, we know how to manage them to the outcome we want, but we don't know how to do that stuff. So what about for my younger listeners who might be out there? If, uh, if they wanted to pick up a book or they wanted to listen to a podcast and this is the type of thing, what, what, what might you suggest to them? Do you think copywriting is a valuable skill? Do you think website design or programming? or What kind of things like this for my younger listeners that they might need to learn? I don't know if you know Sean Ogle over at Location Rebel, but he has a very thoughtful um, approach for the type of people you're talking to. Let's say you're in your 20s and you're trapped in a cubicle job. He was working for an investment bank, so I, I know well the pain that, that he was going through. And he's created a community of people and he helps people, he helps people um, uh, get training in pay-per-click advertising, copywriting, and SEO copywriting. And his solution is to help people first become independent of their, of their jobs through freelancing, and then to work on their passion project or their side project once they are able to do that. And I think it's really a brilliant, you know, it's kind of a brilliant approach. Actually, I think it's, you know, it, it, it's brilliant for the people that are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s too. But it's, it's you know, I think it's especially, you know, good for, for the people that, you know, kind of are starting their career and have decided, you know, this isn't really, you know, what I want to do. You know, the exact same thing. I'd love to be able to, to steal from him the things that are relevant to people that are in their 40s and 50s and even 60s. When I say steal, with all, you know, with all respect to what he's done, because I think he's done an amazing job, you know, but help people first build that, that the, the income that's necessary to be independent and then to be able to work on, you know, if you want to, work on some kind of a, a side project. I mean, there's a lot of people that just, you know, work on do copywriting or SEO uh, copywriting and travel. And that's what they want to like. So, you know, you could do whatever you want, really, once you control that. And what do you like better for a platform? Do you do a lot through Amazon or do you do more like the Shopify and have your own storefront? How does that look? We use Shopify and BigCommerce. Those we use, we have a storefront. All of our stores have a storefront. And then we sell a little bit on Amazon, but we also sell quite a bit on a platform called House, H-O-U-Z-Z, -Z, which is focused on household goods. And 
House, if you've never heard about it, was the last financing round was funded by Mark Zuckerberg's iconic capital. Uh, it was valued at about $4 billion. The, the focus of House is the home redecorating and remodeling market. And so that is about a 650 or 700, $800 billion annual spend industry in the United States. And so that's where, you know, kind of boring things that you would bump into your house, you know, are being, you know, kind of talked about as, you know, people are, are looking for uh, design and decoration ideas, but it's got everything from, you know, kind of the latest designs and decorations for, you know, high-end things to very mundane things like bathtubs and toilets and kitchen sinks and that kind of thing. That's where people are going for advice. What Amazon does really well, Mikkel, is they send you a shoebox and they're really good at sending you a shoebox and suggesting other things that you might want to put in that shoebox. What they're really not good at is providing complex or complicated or sophisticated advice. And so, as you know, there are a lot of review sites that have picked an industry, let's just say shower heads, and they're, you know, all the all the writer does is review different types of shower heads. And when you click on the image, it sends you to Amazon because Amazon doesn't do a good job of really, you know, comparing and contrasting the different things that you might be interested in if you were to buy something like a shower head. And so Amazon doesn't play in the space of, you know, where, where there's a lot of advice needed. And so that's what houses done in household goods. And so what kind of niches do you think are going to be really hot right now and maybe in the next, say, five or ten years then? Do you think that that home space is a really good one for people to get into? Or what are the other ones that are really up and coming? You know, I think the evergreen thing, you know, Americans are crazy about, you know, about spending money remodeling their homes. And, and they probably should be because housing prices have gone up so much. It makes, you know, an enormous amount of sense to invest money in your own home. Uh, as opposed to going and buying a new home, you know, there's uh, enormous opportunities to upgrade rather than to to sell and 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 and, and buy a you know a, a new home. So I think anything around the home is is a is you know going to be evergreen. And there's always going to be you know there's always going to be twists in design, and there's going to be new new products that do something similar but a little bit different than kind of the stuff that's out there. The interesting thing about the home market is that, you know, kind of unlike the like the iPhone in your pocket, most people can't name the brand of what it is that's in their home. You know, they may own a dresser or a bed frame or a coffee table. And so people aren't so brand conscious. So that's really good for those of us that are, you know, kind of sellers, because, you know, we're generally talking to suppliers that don't have a brand presence like iPhone, like Apple. And we're selling to upper middle class people with money, but not so much money that they're incredibly competitive in terms of, you know, pricing and or other unique qualities they need. And they certainly can afford it. So they're not the low end of the uh, economic scale. So, you know, you want to look for things that sell, you know, kind of you know, a minimum of two, three, four hundred dollars and on up. I think the sweet salad is somewhere between $1,000 and $1,500. And that's, a, that's something that someone who's remodeling their home 
they'll use their credit card all day long. We have a store that's, that, that processed over you know, 2,000 uh, transactions last year with an average selling price of, of about $1,100. So that kind of tells you, you know, what, what, what people will spend on you know, remodeling their home. And so how does this work? So someone orders from your shop front and it gets drop shipped directly to them? Or do you have a warehouse and you actually hold the goods until it sells? We predominantly drop ship. We've looked into white labeling some things and we do have some things that we're white labeling. Talk to me like I'm a six-year-old. So what is white labeling? There's a product that we've been able to source. This again is in a niche where there's really no brand affinity. And we've been able to source it at you know, the margins that our suppliers would normally earn. So we have a much higher margin when we sell these private label products than when we sell something that we purchase from a supplier. That supplier has to import it from China or wherever it's coming from, get it through customs, and then they have to ship it to, to our customers. Well, because we contacted the manufacturers overseas, you know, we've taken some of, we've taken that risk and we've ordered some, and we're, we're test driving, applying some of our own products alongside our suppliers. We'll never give up our suppliers alongside our suppliers and, and, and earning, you know, some of the extra margin. And so, but, you know, still, you know, well over 95% of our sales are in things that are, that are sourced through our suppliers. These suppliers do not have websites. They do not have retail locations. They sell to us, they sell to Home Depot, they sell to Lowe's, they sell to other online retailers, but they don't have any, uh, you know, they don't compete with us. They, you know, they allow us to compete with the, uh, you know, kind of the other folks that are out, you know, building brick and mortar or online uh, distribution channel. And I would imagine if you're drop shipping it, there must be huge tax advantages as well, because if you're living over here in the Middle East, and you're not taking possession of the goods, that if you have your, your taxes set up correctly, actually, there's a lot that you can legally do to reduce your tax bill. I'm not a tax expert. I just, I just pay my taxes, you know, and I, but I do employ two tax experts. Living overseas, as you know, you're, you can avail yourself of the federal earned income exclusion, which in 2018, I think is $104,100 per earner. And then there is also a housing credit, which in our part of the world is roughly $50,000 per earner. And so if you and your wife um, were to own a business, you could shield you know, close to um, $300,000 of earnings from federal income tax, but you would still owe employment taxes, you know, social security and FICA, on, I don't know, I guess it's like the first 115 or $20,000 of earnings, but you would avoid paying federal income taxes on the first, you know, well over $200,000, closer to $300,000. Well, because it's one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize when they're setting up their businesses is how you structure it and where you are physically. If you're living overseas as an expat, there's a lot of things you can do to actually legally reduce your tax bill because there's really nothing patriotic or righteous or or brave about overpaying in taxes. You know, it's, it's just not the case. No, look, uh, you know, Robert Kiyosaki said it the best. You know, he, in, and I've read all of his books multiple times, he makes the case that, that business people 
have the greatest degree of tax flexibility and have the best tax deal of any of the types of taxpayers. So that is, you know, a regular company employee that is a specialist and, you know, even even investors, although investors have a really, you know, a really sweet deal, particularly real estate investors, because they can avoid capital gains taxes. But as a business person, you have an enormous, and this is an onshore U.S. business person, you have really kind of the best deal you can if you are a, a small business owner. Now, when you couple that with living overseas, it's really, you know, kind of, you know, an extra boost. It's, it's you know, very, very advantageous. And you can make, you know, very tactical investments at your business so that you can manage your taxes and reinvest in your business, you know, in a, in a very strategic way. So it's really an excellent way to build your net worth in addition to kind of the, you know, kind of the income that it throws off while you're earning money. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing opportunity. So right now you're living in the Middle East and, you know, I live in Abu Dhabi, we're next door neighbors and this is not the place to retire, I have to say. Cost of living here is very, very expensive. Have you looked at kind of taking this type of business and retiring somewhere else for yourself in the future? Or, or what are your thoughts on that? Yes, I have. Funny you should ask. Uh, we have a joke that, that in the summer, and that means we go visit someplace we might want to retire to. So two of the last uh, four summers, we went to Thailand. We're particularly interested in northern Thailand. Chiang Mai has a great hub of entrepreneurs, and particularly in the e-commerce space. Cost of living there is very, very reasonable. We like the topography. It's mountainous. It's beautiful there. We like that a lot. Last summer, my wife is Brazilian, and my wife and kids speak Portuguese. Last summer, we went to Portugal, and I went to a conference in the south, so we spent time in Lisbon and in the Algarve region, and that's very high on the list. It all kind of depends on what the translation with the euro looks like. You know, that's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful place. And in the next couple of weeks or so, we're about to uh, get on a plane and go, for me, it'll be the return to Malaysia, but we're gonna take my wife and kids to Kuala Lumpur and to also to Georgetown and Penang and look at uh, Malaysia. Malaysia is incredibly well known for medical tourism. So between uh, Thailand and Malaysia, you have an enormous population of, of people that visit there for medical tourism. Their, 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 their hospital systems are great. And so that's something that, you know, that, that we don't want to sacrifice. Obviously here, here in the UAE, we're blessed because the, the hospitals and doctors are terrific. And it's, it's first class, in Portugal, it's first class in Thailand, it's first class in Malaysia. Oh, in the UAE, it's so funny. When you want to go to the hospital, you drive your car up, and we have a concierge service. So they'll actually go and park your car for you. And you walk in, and it really looks like a five-star hotel. Some of the times, it just makes me laugh, you know. It's so different than southwestern Ontario, where I grew up, where if you want to see the doctors, you need to book in like a month, two months in advance, and it's, it's just a nightmare. Here, you know, we had a situation where a family member or doctor looked at them and said, you know, you know, you can have this done here or you can go back to the States. And you know, we just all burst out laughing at the same time. There's no way in the world we would we would have it done in the States with that uh, with that procedure. I think the only thing that we paid out of pocket and we have wonderful insurance 
was the valet parking for the car. <laughs> okay, so you know, and it's it's world class, and there are world class hospitals here, and you know, I think in the United States, and I've written about this on my retirement rehab. The healthcare system in the United States is irretrievably broken, and it's a sad fact, but it's true. Yeah, until you leave and go experience it someplace else, you really just don't have any idea of the magnitude of how badly it's broken. It's sad, but it's horrible. Well, that's one of the advantages of living an international life. Like my best friend, he's been over in Korea for the last 13 or 14 years. So if I need some dental work done or I need my eyes done or things like this, I fly over to Korea. I stay at his place. We hang out for a few days. I get my stuff done and I come back. Say my, my mother needs something done. I send her over and, you know, the level of the skill and the economies of scale in something like medical tourism for what they do over there is just unbelievable. You know, you're getting better service, better technology, less price, and you get a vacation rolled into one. It's like, you know, if you're going to live an international life, there's no reason that you need to be going back home to do your medical procedures or your dental or anything like this. And, you know, there's a lot of advantages, even if you haven't left home yet, to use that as a step to go overseas and and get these types of things done. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you're younger, you could use medical tourism as a way to test drive to see if the overseas lifestyle might be for you. As you get older, you, you know, sign up for, for Medicare, Medicaid, and you, you, you know, you self-insure. Or a lot of people I know are self-insuring, although we're, we're not. We're not. We're not planning on it because insurance, quite frankly, is so cheap. But you can use Medicare as you know your your umbrella policy. If something were to happen to you and you really needed treatment, you could go back to the United States for treatment. So there are some pretty clever ways around it to make it work better for you. So last week or maybe a couple of, maybe last month, I should say, I had Ben Hammersley on the show and he's a world famous futurist. And one of the things that he said that really struck me was when he looks at a challenge or a problem, he tries to look at it from a brand new lens that if I was going to solve this problem or this challenge for the very first time using technology, how would that look? What would he do? And actually I thought back in my own life and I have the exact same mentality, but I do it with living an international life. So if I'm going to look at a challenge or a problem, how can I do it and not worry about the borders that are set out in front of me? You know, if I need to do, like I said, get some dental work done. Well, where is the best in the world? Not, not the best in my hometown, not the best in my village or my city or my state or my county or whatever it is, not even my country, but where is the best in the world? Where can I go and get this done? And then I solve that problem with that type of mentality. And I try to look at all aspects of my life and really have a global mindset. So I think that these are really valuable points that we're talking about here today, Ian. Yeah, look, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it, you know, I traveled internationally starting in the early 1980s, but I always went back and, you know, my home base was in the United States, but I traveled uh, Central and South America for years and years and years. I have over 7 million miles on American another 3 million and they'll put my name on a plane, I'm told, you know, which I certainly, I certainly don't aspire to have that, uh, that, that, that great, or uh, great honor bestowed upon me. And then, you know, I built some businesses in, in, uh, in Europe and, and then on, uh, and then on to the Middle East. Um, but I never, I never lived abroad. And, and now, now that I live abroad, I, I think that the, I think, you know, your default is to do exactly what you said, which is to think about it, you know, kind of 
much more with an open mind without any kind of constraints, you know, much more creatively. Um, you know, we, you, can, you can get so much information about uh, things online and, you know, the world's so connected now and particularly where we live, uh, air travel is so easy and inexpensive. It's so easy to get and so inexpensive that you can go kick the tires. Um, you know, you know, as you know, people here get their dental work done lots of different places if they really, you know, even, not, even though it's not that expensive, but they get their dental work done different places. You know, when I lived in New York, we had a friend that got her plastic surgery done back in Eastern Europe where she was from. So, I mean, there's, there's not think of all of the opportunities and just have, you know, kind of the local mentality. That's, that's kind of a, that's, that's kind of an old, old school way of thinking about things. I think it's, it's antiquated now. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. So listen, Ian, imagine, you know, you come down to Abu Dhabi and I take you out. We're going to go out, smoke some cigars. We'll go over to the Ritz Carlton. I got my favorite place right there. I already know where I'm going to take you. We're having a couple of beers and I lean in and I'm like, Ian, Ian, what's the one secret to success? What's the one secret to success to build your business as an expat, as an entrepreneur? What would you say to me? You know, it's very funny. There's there's probably um, uh, there's probably a, a a cluster of answers that I've seen other people answer. I don't want to be trite about it, but I think one of the things is you have to make a commitment and do something. You 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 can't. You just at some point you've got to get off your backside and 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 take a risk. And the way I did that was I segregated some money that if I lost all of it, it wouldn't affect my lifestyle. And that's how I got my, my head into getting into the game. You're just never going to have every answer that you could possibly come across for a question that you could come across. You're not going to have them all when you start out. Secondly, you have to change your mindset. You have to come from a mindset of, uh, you know, in the corporate world, if you make a mistake, it's a horrible thing. You're suddenly wearing a scarlet letter. In the entrepreneur's world, if it didn't kill you and you live to fight another day, that's a win, okay? And you just keep getting smarter. It's kind of like machine learning. You know, you just get smarter. The third thing I would say is, is persistence. Um, you just have to, you know, be persistent. You have to be disciplined. And I think, you know, the big one, if I had to say a big one, is, you know, find a mentor, find a community, find like-minded people, and, you know, tune out all of the people that depress you, that bring you down, that are negative. And you have to wake up every day with the attitude that it can be done. Those would be my suggestions. I love it. Brilliant. Ian, fantastic interview. Really, really interesting conversation. If my listeners, if they want to reach out to you, if they want to find out more about what you do, where can we send them? Thanks, Mikhail. It's been wonderful. You can get me at Ian Bond at MyRetirementRehab.me. Ian Bond at MyRetirementRehab.me. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you. And I do look forward to that evening at the Ritz-Carlton. Definitely. Okay, we'll talk soon, Ian. Thanks a lot for your time. Take care. Okay, I want to read you the reviews from the back of the book that some massively famous people in the international living space have wrote for me. See if you recognize some of these names, okay? So Gregor Gregerson says, 
In Expat Secrets, Mikkel elegantly describes the many benefits that accrue to those that choose their country of residence and provides practical and timely tips and examples for doing so. This book is a game changer. Leif Simon says, Having lived and worked overseas for more than a quarter century myself, I've seen expats make every mistake under the sun. Save yourself time and energy and learn from someone who has actually done it. Expat Secrets is the book to get you started in your international journey. Edmund John says, Having incorporated hundreds of companies from my clients over the last seven years, this book is very helpful for those that are starting out. And Michael Cobb says, A huge thanks to Mikkel for clearly written, concise description of the international experience as lived by a true globetrotting pioneer. Especially refreshing is the chapter on the benefits of raising kids overseas. As the father of two third culture kids, I can personally assure you that no education expands the mind more than growing up overseas. And my good friend David McKeegan wrote the foreword to this book. But I will let you read that yourself when you go to Amazon today and you purchase your copy of Expath Secrets. Thanks, guys. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.